Colossians 1. And the verses we're going to look at, I think, are 11 through 14. But we're going to kind of recap so we can remember where we've been and remember where we are here. Colossians chapter 1. And uh, why don't we just back up, if you will. Let's just back up and read about verse 3 down through 14. And that'll kind of get us, get us a little setting here because I am going to recap just a little bit of what we're talking about. So Colossians chapter 1. And uh, like I said, I think we've been a couple of weeks that I, that I haven't taught. So uh, this will, I'll try to refresh our memory just a little bit. Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. And really the verses we're going to want to get to is the verses 11 through 14. Paul writing to the church at Colossae. Verse 3, we always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, Epaphras our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. Verse 8, he has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. And your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Then verse 11. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness or the powers of darkness and transferred or translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, verse 14, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Let us pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for our gathering here today. Father, we just, as has already been said, we pray for those that are out, that are sick, that uh, Lord, that are uh, having difficult times, we just lift them up to you. You know the ones that are on our hearts and on our prayer list. Go with us today, Lord. Direct my eyesight, my hearing, and my speech that I might be attentive to the teaching of this lesson and that, Father, we might walk out of here glorifying your, you through your Son, Jesus Christ. For all these things we ask in Christ's name. Bind every other spirit. Let your Holy Spirit reign. In Christ's name we pray. And we said, Amen. Amen. Okay, I want to recap just a little bit. We talked about, as we began this lesson in Colossians, he talked about the good news, the gospel. We talked about where we got that word, where we got that phrase or got that understanding, and it was actually 
shortened the gospel from God's spell. That's what it actually was originally, as God's spell. But it actually, and see if this sounds familiar, it was taken from a phrase that means good tidings of great joy. That's what the Christmas season was all about. That's what Jesus was about, right? Behold, we bring you good tidings of great joy. It's, and then gospel is, is uh, synonymous with good news. It means good news. That's what it means, good tidings of great joy. That's why we interchange gospel and good news. Depends on what translation you're using. Matter of fact, sometimes even the translators of some use gospel in one spot, but then they use good news in the other spot. It's all the same word. It all comes from the same word, meaning the same thing. If you'll notice in verse 5 there, he talked about the truth of the good news. And then he translated it or turned around and referred to it in verse 6 is the truth of God's wonderful grace. Listen, folks, God's grace is the good news. That is the good news. And what is grace? What is mercy and grace? What is mercy? Mercy is not getting what we deserve. I don't think there's anybody that wants to stand before God and demand justice. Do we? I don't want to go before him and say, no, God, I don't want any of that mercy. I want justice. <laughs> I don't think anybody in their right mind, in their right thinking wants to. No, mercy is not getting what we deserve. And grace is getting things we don't deserve. And that's what it is. And we don't deserve the good news. That is the good news. We don't deserve God's grace. He gives it to us because he loves us. In verse 8, he talked about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. Now, this is something that we've talked about quite a bit as we're teaching this lesson. Think about this for a moment. You and I, that's the one thing that separates us from the rest of the world. That's the first thing that the Holy Spirit has to do in our lives. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to get us to love other people. If we're going to be the expression of God on earth, <coughs> Steve, we have to learn to love what God loves. And you know what God loves? God loves people. Lost and saved alike. For after all, we were all lost at one time, right? So he and he loved us. Yet he loved us before he knew us. He loved us. So if we want to be, you want to be expression of God. And it's not going to be walking around carrying a sign, protesting something. It's going to be letting people know that God loves you right where you are in life. And he loves you so much, he gave his son, Jesus Christ, for you. And let the Holy Spirit create that love because that's going to be the foundation for all of your walk is going to be learning to love. And we have to learn to love other people. It has to be injected into us because we naturally love ourselves. Our natural, we naturally just, I love me. That's, <laughs> I look out for me and I care about what I care about. And it's supernatural for God to put into us to love other people and love them no matter where they are or what their lifestyle is or what their walk is. We just love them and say, you know what? Jesus has died for all of this. He died for all of us and he's died for all of this. And uh, the sad thing is, Brother David, is that people that will leave this life, that will walk through this life and never know Jesus and the price has already been paid. And they'll never know the joy of loving Jesus Christ or having to love for other people. So the first gift that comes into us by the Holy Spirit, Gary, is that we love other people because that's not natural. That has to be put into me. That's not my natural thing is to love everybody. And if we'll allow it, God will put the love for other people in us. If we'll just stop practicing judging and hating and all of those things, if we'll just allow God to do what he does. And that's what he said. Paul said he was so impressed with the Colossians that they had learned to love people. And that's what we need. You know the old song? I heard it on the radio yesterday. What the world needs now 
It's love, sweet love. That's the only thing there's never enough of. Just too little love is love, sweet love. And it's the love. This is the kind of love that's unconditional love. And let me add to you, if you have never experienced God's wonderful grace, you have not experienced unconditional love. You, uh, that's how we experience God's grace is we experience his unconditional love. He loved us not because of who we are. He loves us in spite of who we are. He loves us even in our sinful state. He still loves us. He still loved us. Even in sin, he still loves us because he gave his son Jesus for us. Now, I like verse 9 because Paul said, so even with all of this, we haven't stopped praying for you. You know what I tend to do? I have a tendency to stop praying for people when the crisis is over. I haven't, I'm just like that, I'm sorry, and I hope you don't think less of me, but Teresa, I have a, I have a tendency to stop praying for people after the crisis is over, and Paul, I, I find it amazing that he just keeps going this list. He said, now that, now that you've got this love of the Holy Spirit, I'm praying that you get this other stuff that goes with it. I'm praying this other stuff falls on you, that God will give you, and notice every time he says that God will give you. Listen, friends, everything we have is a gift from God. All that I have. You know, there was a time in my life that uh, Miss Carolyn, I used to walk around with my chest out, and I thought, you know, I, I've accomplished a lot in this life. I've done this, and I've done that, and I've, I've made my living. And you know what? When I look at it now, I look back, and, you know, it was all just a gift from God. Even the ability, even the ability to do any of those things was just a gift from God. I didn't have a choice in any of that. I didn't get a choice of whether I was going to be educated or uneducated or, or whether, I, you know, I didn't get any of that. I didn't get a choice in any, what family I'd be born to or how I'd be raised or any of those things. It's all a gift from God. If we're where we are, everyone in this room, Brother Mike, we're where we are because of God's gifts. And his gifts just continue. They just, it's a process and they just keep getting bigger and better and they keep growing. They're all gifts from him. He said, verse 9, we haven't stopped praying. And he said, what I'm praying for now, on top of this love, built on this love for other people, he said that God will give you complete knowledge of his will. I think God wants us to have knowledge of what his will is for us. And listen to me for just a moment. God's will for what he wants you to be doing and where he wants you may not be what he wants for me. Does that make sense? You've heard me say before, my calling is not necessarily your calling. Sometimes we get this, we want to have this one size fits all approach. So if God's calling me to, I remember a friend of mine, I've told you this story before. If I said his name, everyone in this room would probably know him. Uh, Teresa would especially remember him. But I remember that he quit smoking. And I was proud for him. He said one day, he said, the way I quit smoking, said I looked in the mirror and I had a cigarette in my mouth and said, you know, would I do that with Jesus standing? What I mean, what would Jesus think about? And I'm not picking on smokers or tobacco users. <clears throat> Any of you, even those of you that's trying to quit. But, <laughs> DJ. But, but, the, but, the, but the, real, the realization is that he said, I looked and said, you know, that's just not becoming. That's not setting me good again. But, you know, the, that was great for him. But the sad thing was, Everywhere we went after that, he jumped on people that were smoking. It was a crusade. You need to quit that nasty stuff. You know what? You're not setting a very good example for God. And I finally told him, I said, brother, I'm glad that you quit smoking. But you know, that's where you are in life. That's where God has brought you in life. And that's wonderful. And when those other folks are ready, God will bring them there, won't he? God will take them there. He don't need me or you 
to tell them, I'm sure they're having their own struggles. There's not a person that's ever put a cigarette in their mouth that said one of these days, you know, I really need to quit this habit. There's not a one of us <clears throat> that's put a dip in our mouth that we haven't said, you know what, I'm probably going to have to quit this one of these days. And one day, we ultimately will, won't we? <laughs> but anyway, that's a whole different story. But listen, God will give you the knowledge of his will for your life. What is God's will for our life? He tells us in a lot of ways, and it's all different. God's got different wills for our life. We come here collectively together, but all of us have come from different walks of life, and we've got different things that God lays on our hearts. He's got different people that God lays on our hearts and different things that we do, and God will show us. That's part of loving people. When you start loving people, when you have a love for other people, God will whisper that small, still voice. He'll say, you know, don't you think you ought to help that person? Don't you feel like you ought to help that person? Don't you feel like you ought to love that you love that person? You ought to show how you love them. Man. And he'll do it. And he may never, I may walk right by that person, David, and God may not even say that to me. And you may be walking right behind me. And God says to you, do this. That's what we're talking about, knowing God's will. It's not about, it's not about having to search through the Bible to know what his will. It's about knowing his will in here. It's about knowing what God's will is. All love, we're going to have to hurry up or we're going to run out of time and never get to the verses we want to get to. So quit dragging me down there, Steve. He knows one place. <laughs> and that he will give you. You just want to get used to it if you're going to come here because if you're, look, if you're looking at me, I'm going to use your name. Everybody just looks down. That's why Susie does like this. I never can see where she's looking right now. All right. He said, first of all, I want you to, that God will give you the, complete, the knowledge of his will for your life and that's your life. And that God will give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Do you know what that is, Steve? And I've talked about that this morning. It's called discernment. And let me give you the definition of discernment. Discernment is going past the mere perception of something and making a nuanced judgment about its qualities or properties. Now, a lot of people go through life in the spirit. They've got discernment. They say, you know, I just had this gut feeling. I just had this bad feeling I just, about that person or about this situation. Or it's not always a bad thing. He's not always warning us. Sometimes he's, it's an unction that says, you know, I, I had a good feeling about that. The, or the good feeling about that person. What do you think that is? That's called discernment. And that's what God wants us to have. Listen, if we've got the love of God, if we've got the love for other people in our lives, and we know what, and we're trying to operate, trying to understand what God's will is for our life, and knowing what God's will is for our life, and we have discernment where we can make good choices, not based on things of the world, but just based on that nuanced spiritual thing that comes from God, we've got a pretty good life. We've got something good going for us. You know that? We've got some good stuff going for us because we've got something, and not because we're better than them, but we've got something that the general world don't have. We're able to drive by somebody on the side of the road, and they're broke down. And, we look, and then we look again, and we keep looking back. And, well, I'm in a hurry, and I've got to... And, and, and finally you get on the brakes, and you turn around, and you drive back. You don't do that every time, do you? But why do you do that sometimes? How come you do that sometimes? What is it that makes you do that? And sometimes and you don't do that other times because you have a nuanced perception that outweighs just the reality of what's really going on. You have something supernatural that's going on and, and you feel like this is what I need to do. And, and I don't know why. I've had people come up to me all the time and say, I don't know why I felt like I, but I just had to do that. That's great. And you know what I want to say? I want to say, great, because you're operating with discernment. 
all based on the love for other people. I like what he says in verse 10. He says, then the way you live, you notice that we don't change the way we live and then we get these other things. What happens? We get these things and then the way we live. That's how this is supposed to really work. That's how God spell. That's how good tidings of great joy works. We get changed from the inside out. It's not an external thing. It's an internal thing, and it happens from the inside. Then the way you live will, number one, always honor God. And then he goes on and says, will produce every kind of good fruit. What fruit is he talking about? Apples? Oranges? No, he's talking about spiritual fruit, isn't he? We all know that. And what are the fruits of the Spirit? Well, according to Paul, he wrote to the book of Galatians, and he said, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I told you this, I hope you remembered this, but I want to point it out to you again. Did you know the first three of those are for you personally? Those are fruits that you bear for yourself. What, were the, what was the first one? Love. Now see, you get that from God's Holy Spirit. See, that's the first gift and that's the first fruit. One of the fruit, but that's for you. That's for you. That's for me in here. Love, joy, and peace. That's all for you. Did you ever think about that? Those first three, why did he name those first? Because they belong to you and they're for you personally. When love, joy, and peace, the fruit of love of the spirit of love, joy, and peace develop in here, there's something starts pouring out. What is it? What starts coming out? Those other six things he named starts coming out. Those other six things were patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And did you know that everyone, did you ever think about that? Every one of those six things affects the other guy. They're not effectual to me. Love, joy, and peace is effectual to me. But that patience and that kindness and that goodness, that's what affects the other guy. That's what he meant when he said, then your life will change. We're getting it upside down. We live in a world of the church age where people are trying to clean their fish before they catch them. Now, if you'll stop doing this and stop doing that, and if you'll quit going there and quit doing that, and you'll get this straightened out in your life and get that straightened in your life, and then we'll add, and then get in church. That's cleaning fish before you catch them. Matter of fact, I've told you this many times, I'm not called to be a fish cleaner. I'm a fish catcher. I catch them with the good news, and the good news is the bait. That's the bait I use. It's the good news. God's not mad at you. He loves you. God loves you right where you are in life. As messed up as your life is, He loves you right now. He's never going to love you less. See, we've got to stop thinking that God's peevish. Well, today God's proud of me. He's happy with me and He loves me a lot. Now tomorrow He may be mad at me. Uh -uh. You don't want God mad at you. It's a good thing he loves us right where we are all the time and his love is consistent. All the while, he said there in verse 10, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. It's a process, folks. And it all begins with the truth of God's wonderful grace. We can't know what joy of living for God is until we understand that we are, he has just, he's, he's done it all. It's all been done. It's all already been done. The price has been paid. And it all begins with love. It all begins with that love, that very first gift of the Holy Spirit that Paul named. And he named it again as fruits of the Spirit. It's love. It's love for other people. It's a love. It's not just love for Christians. I want to be honest with you. I'm seeing a lot of folks that's having trouble just loving Christians, and they're not doing a very good job of it because I, this ain't the first church I've pastored. 
<laughs> and, I, and I've been where I'm thinking, can't you folks come together? I'm not talking about here at Skyland. I'm talking about churches I've pastored in the past. That's why I'm still not there. That's why I've been here this long. That's the difference. just want you to know. I've been in places where devils, they don't even love one another. Sitting in the room together. And I'm thinking, I wish one of you would stay home. <laughs> this job would be easier if one of you would stay home. But neither faction wants to stay home. And those people that just, and what did they buy? If you can't love your brother whom you have seen, how can you proclaim that you love a God you have not seen? That kind of love doesn't come natural to us. It has to be put in us from the Father of lights, whom there is no variables of turning. All good and perfect things come down to us. Paul said, is saying here what he's always said, love, it's all built on this love for other people, that we have to learn to love people like God loves them. And he loves them unconditionally. Jesus died on the cross, Maggie, whether I would ever be saved. And he suffered for my sin. If I never accept that offering, he still suffered for it. Just like I was going to be saved. Paul said, if I could speak in every language on earth and heaven, if I had the gift of prophecy that I knew all things, if I possessed all knowledge, if I had the faith that I could move mountains, but I did not love others, I have gained nothing. I have gained nothing. Why? Because I did all this good stuff. I mean, I had prophecy and I had, no, he said, it's, it's not effective. It's only effective when it's built on this unconditional love for other people. When it's built on the love that God injects in you, his love for his people, then it's meaningful and it has meaning. And the thing of it is, what he said is, I have gained nothing. He said, I'm still just empty. I'm still just an empty guy doing some good stuff. And there's a lot of people doing a lot of good stuff, but they're still empty inside. They're still empty inside. Observe the process. Paul has observed his own life and he desires for his readers. It isn't something he can write down. If he could have wrote it down in a formula right here, he would have written it down. And you do this and you do this. And this. It's not one of those things that you can write down. It's internal and it has to come and it all begins with the understanding of God's wonderful grace of what he's done for us. And it changes our whole life, Boone. It changes everything about us. It changes the way we look at our job. It changes the way we look at the world. It changes the way we look at our spouse. It changes the way we look at everything. I'm, I'm a witness to that. It changes everything. But it doesn't end with just knowing God better and better. In verse 10 and verse 11, he said, Paul's prayer continues. And he said, I pray that you'll be strengthened with his glorious power, that all of the endurance and patience you will need all the while is a joyous experience for you. Remember reading somewhere, let not God's requirements be grievous to you? Because if you're just trying to keep a set of rules out here, if you're trying to please God, keeping some set of external rules, you're not going to be joyful. You're going to be miserable, and it's grievous to you. But when it produces from the inside out, when it begins with the love of all people, that everybody deserves to hear the gospel, that everybody needs to know that Jesus died for them and God loves them. Everybody needs to know that. I don't care what their lifestyle's like. Homosexual or straight, whatever they are, whatever their lifestyle is, if they're in prison or free, right? Everybody needs to know Jesus died for them. 
and he loves them. God loves them. Jesus paid the price for my sin, your sin, and all sin. But he said, my prayers, you'll have endurance and patience. It's a process. It's not instantaneous. Your life's been a process, hasn't it? David, has your life been instantaneous or has it been a process? He's still working on you. Oh, look at you. And he's still, the clay's still wet. God's still molding. I'm just picking on you, David, because, but you and I have had this discussion. I can look back over my whole life and it was a process even when I didn't know I was part of the process. How about you? Right. Yeah. Even when I didn't know I was part of the process, it was in the process. You can take that any way you want to. He goes on in verse 12 and says, Thanking the Father, he has enabled you, me, all of us, to share in the inheritance. And then all these things we're talking about is part of the inheritance. We stepped into the inheritance. We became heirs with Christ, all of God's glory. That's what the Bible says. That's what Paul wrote. What does that mean? Well, I'm going to tell you I know because I don't know. But that sounds pretty big. It sounds pretty cool to me. I don't know about you, but for someone to say now that you have accepted Christ, now that you are in the covenant of grace, you now have become an heir, a child of God, and not just a child of God, but an heir to all of God's glory. I'm not sure what all that means, but it sounds pretty big to me. If I'm going to be an heir to somebody, he's the guy. <laughs> he's, he's the one. The owner of all the cattle of all the fields and all of the mountains and controls it. That's the guy I want to be the heir to. And Jesus made that possible. That's what he said. He talked about the inheritance here. That's what he was talking about. Our inheritance. But the inheritance is not just for them. Everybody treats you different because you're an heir. Now, why does everyone treat you different being an heir? Because you're creating, oh, there's people that despise me. No, 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 no. You're, the Bible says you're sealed, and I may not ever get to this today. Okay? This may be next week's lesson. But the Bible says, I'll, I'll go with what the Spirit tells me to tell you. But the Bible says you are sealed with a seal. That you are God's children. Isn't that what it says? I mean, I'm, not, I'm not right here, right? That's what Paul said in the book of Ephesians. You are sealed with an earnest of expectation. You've got a down payment on your inheritance. That's what the down payment is. You're sealed as the children of God, the heirs of God. Who is that sealing for? Can you see my seal? I can't see my seal. But the Bible says I'm sealed. Now that seal comes from an idea of putting a stamp or a mark on something. That's what the whole idea of the seal is. Letters were sealed and they would be sealed and sometimes with the king's signet and they, the king would put it in there and nobody was allowed to open that document. No one was allowed to mess with that document that had the king's seal on it. The Bible says that we are sealed and you can't see my seal and I can't see your seal so that seal is not for us, is it? Yeah. Evidently it's not for me or you to see. So it's not for we can know each other are sealed. Okay, so is the seal for God so God can look down and he can look and say, oh yeah, Bailey, Bailey's mine. She's got that seal. No, I don't think God has to do that, do you? I don't think God has to mark us and brand us like cattle, do you think? And say, well, let me see if that's one of mine. Oh, it is one of mine. No, he already knows. So it's not for God. So who's the seal for? I'm going to tell you a secret. The seal's for the angelic realm. Did you know that when your guardians or your enemies look on you, they know you are gods? And they say, do you know who that is? He, she has the seal. 
They belong to the Most High God. You treat them differently. The angels under God's power that are still under his force, two-thirds of them, I understand, are still here. We do so much talking about that third that's failed. We, we tend to not think about that two-thirds that are still have kept their place with God. Every one of them. Gary, they look at you and they say, do you know who he is? Look at him. And they don't have to tell each other. They say, yeah, I see the seal. I know exactly who he is. But let me take you one further than that. So does your enemy. So do the enemies. That seal's not for you and I. It's not for God. It's for the unseen world. And the unseen world sees the seal. And the unseen world hopes you never know that you're sealed with the seal of God. That you are heir to his inheritance. That you are the children of inheritance. As long as they can keep you not knowing that. That's why this gospel of grace that I've been preaching is so hated and is so rebelled against. You think, I, it's, it's, a, it's an enigma to me. Why do people not want to know that God loves you and he loves you unconditionally and by believing on Jesus Christ that Jesus has fully paid the price for all of our sin, all sin, he's paid the price for people for their sin that they'll never ask him to cover. He's already paid the price for it. He's paid the price for the sin you will commit the rest of your life. It's already paid for because if anything was left undone, David, I'm in trouble. If he left any part of the plan, if he left an I not dotted or a T not crossed, you and I are hopeless. He paid the price. Let's just read the last two verses and we're going to end it with that. Well, as you're saying that, I, I, want, to, I want to say what you said. Go ahead, brother. Because I was at a concert about a week ago. And I've been just been working on my mind because everybody around me was drinking and you know, tables on the alcohol. Sure. And the way I used to drink, and I was sitting there thinking the whole time, why does this not bother me? Come on. Why don't but I, but I never looked at it like you just said with a seal. You're sealed, aren't you? Nothing was tempting me to do that. Because the enemy looked at you, David, and said, there's no need messing with him. He ain't going to do it. Because I've been wondering about that. That's amazing. Hallelujah. Wow, what a topic to that message. Huh? Amen. So God wanted us to hear exactly that. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and get this out. It says, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. And both of those are past tense, done and done. Purchased, past tense, and forgave. He didn't say is forgiving our sins or will someday forgive our sins or will someday purchase our... No, he's purchased our freedom. And next week, I'll tell you about that darkness. We'll talk about the darkness, that dark kingdom. We've touched on it a little bit, but we'll talk about that dark kingdom next week. We don't have time today.